Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP3. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple online accounting solution built for small business owners just like you who want to skip the headache at tax time. For a limited time, try FreshBooks free for 60 days. To get started, visit GetFreshBooks.com now and enter This Week in Photo in the How Did You Hear About Us section. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Lynda.com. Learn what you want, when you want, with access to thousands of high-quality, easy-to-follow video tutorials, including many about photography. For seven days of free, unlimited, in-depth courses, visit Lynda.com slash TWIP. This week on TWIP, Getty Images makes much of its portfolio free to use. A photographer makes $15,000 on Instagram in one day. iStock Photo introduces a subscription model and 500 Pix Prime goes live. Plus, an interview with Peter Reed Miller, sports photographer from Sports Illustrated. It's Wednesday, March 12, 2014, and this is TWIP. All right, welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show to discuss some of the cool topics that have hit the news this week are Mr. Dave Dugdale and my good friend, Miss Liana Lehua. Hey, guys, welcome. Hello. Thanks. Hello. Hey, hey. It's good to have both of you on here. I, Dave, I haven't talked to you in forever, so we got to definitely catch up. But Liana, you and I, you were helping out in the Panasonic booth at uh, WPPI. You, I want to introduce you to the audience because you do all kinds of magic things in the technology arena. I first was exposed to you when you did a show called Girls Gone Geek a couple of years ago or many years ago. And you dropped out of sight, do some cool stuff, uh, and now you're back on the scene, back doing more cool stuff. Give us a quick synopsis of just kind of the things that you like doing. You know, I know you like photography, obviously, which is why you're on this show. But what other Absolutely. kinds of things did you get into? Uh, photography gear, comedy, uh, what I've been working on in the last few years, internet live streaming, a lot of that, mostly 24-7 that. Um, and then this last summer, I kind of took some time off and uh, went on tour with uh, one of the Wayans brothers. I was doing some photography, a little bit of live stream testing, so I was kind of playing for last year. Uh, but always photography, gear, stuff, getting back into triathlon racing. So that's about it. That's cool. Wait, you said the Wayans <laughs> brothers. So the Wayans brothers, right? Uh, yes. Wow. Okay. Oh, well, the, the one, the one, yeah. Cool. You Hollywood people just drop these names. Wow. Yeah, and I was, you know, I was hanging out with the Wayans brothers, and then you know Jim Carrey swung by. You know, it's not a big deal, whatever. <laughs> well, you know. I love it. Cool. All right. Well, welcome to this week of photos. Good to have you on. Um, I really respect your opinion, obviously, which is why you're here. So I'm looking forward to your input on the stories this week. So welcome. Great. Thank you. All right, also on the show, uh, a regular co-host here, Mr. Dave Dugdale of LearningDSLRVideo.com. Hey, welcome, Dave. Hey, thanks. Nice to What's see you. What's going on in your world? We haven't talked in forever. What are you up to? 
Um, today, actually, I interviewed. Uh, it was interview. I interviewed a swim coach. She. Uh, I, I was getting lots of B-roll before, and then today I actually did the interview. And it, it, she has a unique story because you don't think of many swim coaches owning their own like pool, indoor pool, but she built it. And I, there was an interesting story there. And I wasn't even really, really trying to go there, but and I hope she hasn't listened to this podcast, but she, she started crying halfway through the interview. And I guess, you know, a couple cameras, a bunch of lights can kind of do that to you, but I wasn't even trying to go there. But so that, you know, that's what I was working on today. And then I've been working on a, um, a new course, uh, how, how to record um, for like beginners getting started. Because I remember when I started, one of the things I learned is if you take away the background and you just focus on the talent, mm-hmm. like with your recording video on your DSLR, um, like just shooting against a black background. And so that's what I'm doing on this course, taking you through the whole entire process. It might seem easy, but there's a lot of different things in post and different things you can do, and I give a lot of tips and rendering to just about everything, the whole nine yards, and that's kind of what I'm working on right now. That's great. I mean, so that's at learningdslrvideo.com, right? So how how are those courses doing? I know you launched, what, about a year and a half ago or so? Yeah, about a year and a half ago, yeah. Yeah, they're doing great. Yeah, I mean, I need to launch more but then I have like you know gigs like I did today and it you know just when I get a chance to work on stuff like that it's kind of fun yeah well cool Well, welcome back to the show it's always always a pleasure having you on thanks alright guys before we jump into the show I want to thank our first sponsor for this episode of TWIP and that's our friends over at Squarespace this episode is brought to you by Squarespace the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website portfolio or online store for a free trial and 10% off just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code twip3 and remember the new squarespace metric app for iphone and ipad allows you to check site stats like page views unique visitors and social media follows with the blog app you can make text updates tap and drag images to change layouts and monitor comments on the go. And when you start your free trial, you don't need your credit card. You can start building your website right away. And then when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, just be sure to use the offer code TWIP3 and get 10% off and to show your support for this week in photo. And we'd like to thank Squarespace for their support of the show. Remember, Squarespace, it's everything you need to create an exceptional website. All right, guys, let's roll the show here. Uh, the first story, I think much of this, this show is going to be about stock photography. And it looks like over the years, we've been talking a lot about Getty and iStock and all those guys. And it's particularly, they're like polar opposites in my brain, at least, when it comes to stock photography. Getty is kind of old school, you know, $5 million to license an image kind of company. And then on the other side, there's iStock, which was kind of chomping away at the Getty business model and selling cheaper images that bloggers could use and not, you know, have to take out a mortgage on their home or anything in order to do it. So it looks like Getty has listened and they retooled um, a little bit. And I I put little bit in air quotes here because they're launching or they have launched a service or an, a, an addition to their site where you can, for free, go and basically do YouTube-style embeds of most, if not all, of the images on the Getty site. So you go and search for, say, you know, photos of photography, which I did earlier to test this. I did a, I, I did a search for DSLR photographer, you know, and it came up with a bunch of results. You roll over the image, embed logo like or, or symbol like you have on YouTube, you click it and it gives you the code for that. You paste that in your blog post or on your website and boom, it shows up. So it, 
it seems like a really good idea when I first tried it, and 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 even now, and I you know I played around with it. Of course, there's some caveats with it because. Of course, when you click on the image, it's going to go back to Getty, A, and it has social sharing icons on there. So you put it on your site, you're basically promoting Getty in exchange for letting your audience see this image for free. So I want to throw it to you guys to see what you think about this. Is this the shape of micro stock or stock photography going forward? Liana, I want to, I want to have you chime, chime in on this first. I know you saw the story. When you saw this, what did you think that, okay, finally, this is Getty kind of getting it for what the Internet wants today, or was it like this is grasping for straws, they're an ICU, and, you know, it's, not, it's something in that vein. What would you think? Well, so let me start by saying that I'm not somebody who makes a living doing photography. However, as part of work that I have done, I do photography. An example, I shot last summer with the... Um, under the contract or under some terms that were mm -hmm. images that I shot were going to the person that I shot them of. And he can use them however he liked them. So I know this gets into another issue in terms of kind of licensing just in general of photos. Um, I looked at the terms of service. I'm trying to really understand. So it's, it was saying for non-commercial purposes that you can embed these photos. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just one of those things that becomes a fine line just like anything that's considered parody, for example, for video, right? Um, sorry if I'm kind of going outside the box for folks here, but in terms of my thinking, um, when you're using an image that is for a specific purpose, um, where do you kind of draw what, under non-commercial purposes, I guess, I'm, I'm wondering what it is. Yeah, um, I, was, I saw that too. Right? I knew yeah. where you were going with that, because I saw right. that. I saw non-commercial purposes, so I'm right. like, does that mean I can't use it on TWIP because we, we have ads on TWIP and we <laughs> sell ads into the show itself? That's commercial. Am I in right. breach if I do that? I don't know. Yeah, I think there's like a fine, so what is it, I, I mean, I think there's just, I don't know, I, I feel like, as, a, as just as an artist, and again, there are images I've sold before, and I, just, I sell them definitely for licensing, and there's a term, um, mm. and I just feel like this is something that doesn't necessarily benefit the photographer in that it doesn't respect the, I'm big on people getting paid for their art. Right. Like properly paid for their art. Right. Um, oh, so you're saying, so, so if someone, you know, I have a bunch of images up on Getty, and now anybody can come license or just grab the embed code for those images and put them all over the web, and for free, I don't get paid, right? But right. in Getty's defense, that would be exposure that you wouldn't ordinarily see, and the thousands of people that visit those websites will see the image, click on it, and some of them may license it where they would not have been exposed to that image before. That's a good so, point. Here's, well, here's my question, though. So one of the, I guess, things that would come to mind is, as you search today for DSL images, say you, I went and I searched for photos today of Southern California sunset, and I saw a series of images. I might see a photo that I like and might want to use that and license that one photograph. Um, and I don't know if this really necessarily applies, but do I really look at that photo because I'm looking for a sunset photo that I like? Am I going to look and say, who's the photographer that took that? I'd like to see more of their images, or am I really just going in for that one and coming back out and not really ever knowing who the photographer is or caring about it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. that photographer might get paid. Yeah. No, no, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, it's interesting. And, and a lot of this is just an experiment, right? So. Right. Much like many things in life, <laughs> just, we're just basically experiments, and then we fail and die. So, Dave, Dave, what about you? I mean, you you saw this, you know. You're, you know, I'm sure you have an opinion on this. What do you think? Well, first off, I'm not a 
like stock. Oh come on! What is this? The disclaimer I, show? Both well, well I, I'm more of a video guy. Take but, a stand. Take a stand. I have done some stock photography, and you know, I think of it along the lines of what Trey Trey Radcliffe does, mm-hmm. where he gives away all of his stuff. He says, "Go ahead and just use it non-commercially. That's great." And he goes, "I know that." I don't remember what he said exactly, but he said something like, I know 1% of the people are going to buy something because they know my name, they get used to who I am and stuff like that. So I think this kind of this widget or embed code or whatever you want to call it, I think is kind of interesting because um, I do a lot of stuff on Flickr. That's where I do most. I just give all my stuff. In fact, I give all my stuff away. Um, I'm kind of like Trey. I just go use it for whatever. Just give me attribution, you know, link to my site kind of thing. And what happened is, um, I think when Flickr did this about a while ago, they created kind of a widget where when you embed it, because most people take the picture and they put it on their site, but what happens is there's like left and right arrow uh, buttons on either side of the image. And what I've noticed is all my stats for my images just skyrocketed. Now I've got like over 2 million views of my images on Flickr just because people are like hitting that button on the right or left side and they could see more of my images. Uh-huh. So maybe that's good if they have that same type of implementation on um, there's, you know, that embed code um, and then you get to see more photos and um, maybe I, I don't know, I, I I would say it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, to, I, think, I think overall, I mean this is me, you know, sample size of one, but overall I think it's I think it's a good thing, you know, and, and it and it kind of for me it it, it indicates that they're listening. They're not just going to die in the vine. They're like, okay, what are what are some cool, innovative ways that we can get exposure, get eyeballs on our library? Because I can imagine this gigantic, you know, cavernous library of images that no one will ever ever see that they want to get out there. So this is this yeah, seems like a, an obvious choice, you know, to get people into those sense. corners, right? Yeah, it's a great tool for that, yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, but then, so then the other question is, so the other side of that is, what do you guys, I mean, you're not asking you guys to be Nostradamus or anything, but is this is this a way for them to sort of revigorate the stock photography market, or is this just grasping for straws at the end and and, and Companies like iStock, who have reinvented the business model with microstock, are are ultimately going to be the victors in this. What do you think, Liana? Why don't you take it first? Reinventing the model. That's not an envelope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got now, I have just let everybody know today. how old All right. I am. So, right? um, no, you gonna you gonna yeah. poke the lion with jokes? Okay. Here. You. <laughs> But made really good points that make sense. Um, I guess I'm still kind of in a being close to TV, so I, I will say that I do have some mindsets. I think they're a little bit older, but you make really good points in terms of eyeballs, views, um, and really getting people to kind of really look at the rest of your images. So I think it makes sense, and I think it could be. I mean, if they've, um, I don't know, they've reinvented. I feel like it's a mo- mishmash of kind of what they've been doing plus what iStock is doing. And like you said, I think it's an experiment. I think it's interesting. I will definitely yeah. use it. I mean, knowing that I can, I'm going to go look and, and, and see if images are available when I need something. Yeah, I mean, I know we use, you know, for the for the graphics on TWIP, you know, that we send out in the email when we announce an episode and in the, the uh, G Plus post and all that, we use Shutterstock images in there normally. Um, uh, unless it's like a logo of some sort or whatever, but normally we go on Shutterstock, find a, the image that's representative of this episode. It goes on Google Plus, it goes on the blog, goes in the email blast, all that. So when I saw this, I'm like, oh, let me take a look at that. Let's see if we could possibly use that. And then I 
like Yuliana, I looked at the terms of service and I was like, well, we're kind of commercial. Right. So <laughs> it's almost like drones. Like you can't use them unless if you're doing commercial stuff. <laughs> so, so I don't know. Dave, do you think you'll you'll ever use any of these image on, images on your website? Uh, probably not, but I think it's a good idea in the fact that they're trying. You know, yeah, I don't know if they're totally. necessarily grasping at straws because I know when I do stuff on my website, I'll just try different things to see. And I'm guessing that's what their web designer is like, hey, let's try this and see if it works. And all of a sudden we might get, you know, a ton more orders because, you know, all these images are now being viewed a lot more. Um, and it's just maybe they're just testing. I don't know if they're necessarily grasping at straws, but uh, yeah. their business model dying. Who knows? But um, they're trying, you know, which <laughs> I, I have to, you know, applaud them for. Yeah, live yeah on exactly. YouTube. Maybe the next iteration is the embed tool allows you to select. This is not a non-commercial purpose, but I really still want to use this image. How much would I have to pay if I decided I needed to, to license this photo? Yeah, yeah, that's what they should put on there. They should put on. They should overlay on every image. This is the licensing fee for this image. If you'd like to use this on your blog, click here to pay it, you know, or something like that. Or pay now. What if they license the uh, the one-click payment from Amazon <laughs> so that you, you just click on an image and automatically cha-ching into their bank account? I'm giving them ideas now. All right, guys, let's move on to story number two. Story number two is, a, is about Instagram. So there's a photographer. Let me read the blurb that uh, that Bruce put into the show notes here. It says, down to less than $100 in his bank account, Daniel Arnold decided to try and sell his Instagram photos to raise some quick cash. Arnold has over 22,000 followers on Instagram, and when he announced that he'd be selling four by six prints, of any image in his Instagram account for 150 bucks each, 150 bucks for four by six. He, the orders started flooding in, and then after one day, he had accumulated over fifteen thousand dollars in orders. So, Dave Dugdale, um, is this the new model for photographers to like do these kind of flash sales? Hey, you've been following me. You must love my stuff. Therefore. I'm going to put a price tag on it, do a flash sale, limited time only. You 22,000 followers fork over some cash and, uh, you know, help me pay my mortgage. What do you think? I think it's something you could try if you have those many followers. It's something, but, you know. I got that many followers. I'm going to try it tonight. <laughs> hey, man, I can, I can use $15,000. I'm looking for, I need a new Mac. Come on. But his images are very, um, they're like very street photography from what I was noticing, the ones that I was looking at. Um, I don't know why people would buy those for $150, and this kind of plays into one of the other stories we're going to be talking about, the one that's for $250 yeah. um, for yeah. 500 picks. But um, I think it's great for Daniel that he did this. So, you know, it shows the power of the Internet and, you know, people helping him out. And, like, when I first started selling my courses online, I got people that would email me and say, I just bought your course. I didn't really need it, but... I, I follow your videos. I know who you are. I wanted to give back to you in some way. And this Daniel, it was Daniel's birthday. And I yeah. think he, people knew his personality. They really liked him over the years. He had his account banned for nudity or whatever before. He got reinstated or whatever. And he, um, I think just people had a connection with him. And it's more, I see it more of as like a Kickstarter-ish kind of thing where he's yeah. like, dudes, I'm like, I don't think he said he was out of money, but he was just like, you know, limited time only. Um, yeah, you're right. Tell me out. You know, you know me. You know, you know. What do you think? And then it's people classic are like, "Marketing. It's classic marketing." And they, and you know, one of the 
ways that people talk about it in internet marketing is the whole the whole idea of reason why marketing. Like you don't go out there just saying, "Hey, I'm selling this thing, come buy it." Like it's yeah, much they already more. Know, they know and trust him already. Yeah, yeah, it's much more impactful if you have a reason why. Like, hey guys, you send an email out. Hey guys, I uh, you know I I have this crazy tax bill coming up. I didn't expect. Therefore, I'm dropping the prices on everything I'm selling for three days. Help me out. Cha-ching. You know, rather yeah. than just saying I'm dropping the prices. That that little nuance of you doing it because of a specific reason drives conversions or for you lay people sales. <laughs> so it's crazy. You know? And I, know I love this. I love this story from a marketing perspective. Yeah, and I know he said it was like one time only, but if you were to try this again in like a couple of years, I don't think it would have as much legs as it did this time. Personally. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. think one one time only deal. Yeah, it's a one-time only deal. That's my guess. <laughs> Dang, he should have sold it for like three hundred fifty. Then, right? Liana, what you about what? you? Is this something you do? You've got a you got a metric ton of followers too. I mean, you're gonna go out and generate some income from them? No, um, like you said, I guess I'd be willing to try it. The least that could happen is maybe one person buys something. I still have one hundred fifty dollars more than I had before. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, that's it. What are you gonna do? No, I. You know, I applaud him. I think it's great. He had an idea, and he just kind of went for it, and it's it could have failed, but it didn't. So then it, look what happened because it didn't. And right. the one thing that I wonder, this is really not part of the story, and I'm wondering, is this $15,000, 15K in orders? Is that really 15K in orders? Or, as Dave was saying, do people just say, you know what, want to help this guy out. You don't really have to send me an image. Let me give you 50 bucks. And then yeah. it totaled 50, 15, or did he really sell that many images? Because I can't see somebody going, ah, oh, cool, 150 bucks, I get a 4 by 6 I know, I know. But like you said, I mean, a lot of people could just like him, you know, and they like his personality, so they'd be paying to, you know, hey, we just want to help you out, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's great, and I think I'd love to see more people do it. We kind of see it, right, with Kickstarter and Ego, that kind of thing, and he just kind of did it informally. I think it's great. Yeah, I did see some follow-up articles on this, and a lot of people called BS on it. So, you know, hey, who knows? It, it does seem kind of outlandish, that 4 by 6 for 150 bucks from a stranger. That does right. Right. I wouldn't buy one. I don't care who I'm following, you know. Right. You know, even if it's a celebrity and they say, you know, some celebrity that I like and the celebrity says, "Hey, I'm doing this thing and I'm going to give away 100 4x6s that n will never be reprinted again and they're 150 bucks each." I still wouldn't do it. So, I right. don't know. I don't know. So, but I'm crazy. So, who knows. <laughs> All right, guys, let's move on. Um before we jump into the show, uh, or to the, the rest of the show and talk about iStock Photo and their subscription model, um, I want to thank our next sponsor of this episode, and that's our friends over at FreshBooks.com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple online accounting solution that's built for small business owners just like you. For a limited time, you can try FreshBooks free for 60 days. To get started, just visit GetFreshBooks.com and enter This Week in Photo in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And it's tax time. If you're not using FreshBooks, your life is probably a mess right now. You're hunting for receipts, you're digging through invoices, going through every record one by one. It's the worst. FreshBooks is a simple cloud accounting solution that makes tax time a breeze. And with FreshBooks, you can create professional-looking invoices, capture and track expenses, and get real-time business reports with just a few simple clicks. Plus, you can work anywhere with FreshBooks using their mobile apps for your phone and tablet. 
And I use FreshBooks personally to manage the This Week in Photo universe by because, you know, it's kind of a one man band here managing all the expenses and the invoicing and the clients and all advertisers, all that stuff. So FreshBooks is the back end to everything on This Week in Photo. It automatically invoices advertisers. It invoices everything, keeps everything in track. And when I need to run reports for tax time, it's a few simple clicks and boom, I'm done. I don't have time. I want to be a photographer. I want to be out shooting. So FreshBooks makes it easy for me to just get everything done. And it's, uh, it's, it's just a great service. It's a godsend for getting things done as a very thin operation in terms of headcount. Um, and you know, for me, if I, if I knew known about FreshBooks when I first started this week in photo, a ton of headaches would have just gone away. I mean, we receive invoices from people using FreshBooks. So they, you know, when, when we send things out, they look professional, we get paid online. So there's no hassle of mailing checks or anything crazy like that. So FreshBooks is awesome. And like I said at the beginning, for a limited time, you can try FreshBooks for free for 60 days. Just get started at getfreshbooks.com and enter this week in photo in the how did you hear about us section. And right now, FreshBooks is giving our listeners and viewers an extended 60-day free trial just to make sure you can get through text time in a breeze. They're trying to make everything easy for you. So head over to getfreshbooks.com, enter this week in photo in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up and enjoy and make sure you know, you tell them that this week in photo sent you. All right, guys, number, story number three is about iStock Photo and their subscription model. So they are, let me read this. So and Bruce did a fantastic job with these notes. So I got to give Bruce props for all the work that he put on this. So he said, um, on the heels of Getty's announcement, two other major players in the stock photography market had some major happenings this week. First, iStock Photo, which happens to be owned by Getty Images, announced it would be introducing a new subscription-based model starting in April. While pricing has yet to be revealed, speculation is that the service will likely be similar to Shutterstock's plans, which allow 25 images to be downloaded per day for a flat rate of $249 a month. Meanwhile, our friends over at 500Pix announced a service called 500Pix Prime. Hey, Yevgeny Chabotarov. And that went live last week. Under their model, customers can purchase a single image for 250 bucks and receive a royalty-free high-resolution image with worldwide any media usage that never expires and has no usage limits, basically, so you own the image, for, uh, for lack of a better phrase, but other people can own it, too. 500Pix also announced that it has acquired the analytics technology company Authentic to help it make personalized recommendations to anyone sifting through its database, which has grown to over 37 million photos. All right, so... Liana, when you look at this story, when I look at this, I'm thinking, especially this one and the first one, the first stories about, you know, sort of the shakeup in the, the micro stock and stock photography business with Getty, this, there's a lot of movement happening in stock photography and the idea of stock sales going on right now. Is this, have we finally come to sort of the, okay, it's the put up or shut up moment for this stuff? And do you, when you look at these, like the subscription model for iStock Photo, which is mirroring Shutterstock, do you think that this is, uh, you know, this is the direction that things need to go? Plunk down a bunch of cash every month and get whatever you want. What do you think? 
I, I, I get it, and um, I, do, I also have Shutterstock, and I have one of those plans that allows me to um, download Im images for flat mm -hmm. rates. Um, I don't know, I think it's interesting. I guess I never really thought about it now until reading the story, or just know, mm -hmm. in recently reading the story and getting Twip a is thought provoking. Now, right? so it you. is thought provoking. <laughs> um, and uh, being able to purchase one image for any use for like perpetuity. I mean, I, that, that that's crazy that's, talk. That's, that's that's totally crazy talk. I mean, that's that's in my opinion, in my very humble opinion, that's somebody underselling their them. That's somebody. I I believe in licensing on a regular basis. There's companies going to make money off of that photo. Yeah. For a perpetuity, like they're going to run an ad, and then they decide next year they don't want to run another ad. They're making money. There's no reason why they shouldn't also. I don't. I don't really understand it. Like I think it's. Um, it's disruptive. It, it's, it's, right, disruptive it's disruptive, right? It's, it is disruptive. That's what they do. This is what Silicon Valley's built on. Like, hey, this is status quo. Let's throw a wrench in that and see what happens. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, I think I just. I mean, I guess I get why they did it to be disruptive, but from the standpoint of, I won't do it. Like, I have a 500 px account, and I may just close it. I haven't done that yet, but. Wow. Um, I know. I don't have to opt into. Being able to, you know, for this right for this to allow people to blind so yeah, you can still use 500 pics as just what as right. just to share, right? Yeah, I mean, right. So I guess I could use it to share and then just point it back to what it is that I do because it'll get eyeballs. I just I feel like this is uh, uh, another business that I do. Um, when I offer a service, I offer that service, and I feel like I'm good enough at that service to offer it at a particular price. Mm -hmm. And I won't, I don't give discounts on my stuff because I'm not giving you discounted work. And I just feel like this almost kind of discounts somebody's work that they put in to, to take it to make an image. Got it. Got it. So Dave, Liana thinks it's cheapening in in some ways the the efforts of the creative. I'm saying it's disruptive and it might be a good thing from at least an experimental standpoint and and five hundred picks is trying to shake up the you know the world here on the five hundred pick side and then iStock on the you know kind of following suit with Shutterstock. What do you think? Is this is this the right thing to do or or not? Um, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask because you are the right person. You're on the show. Come on. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll, and I'll definitely give you my opinion. All right. I'm, I'm kicking you out of the hangout right now. <laughs> I I think a lot of people probably hate my answer and um because not only do I give all my stuff away for free for non-commercial use, I give it away for free for commercial use. Mm. All I ask for in return is attribution. I am, you know, some of my photos are pretty good, and like I said, I've been, you know, over 2 million views on Flickr, which I think is pretty decent. I'm not Trey Radcliffe or anything like that, but what I do is, for me, the quality, what I do in, in the description, so I say, you're, feel free to use this image. All I ask in return is to you give me proper attribution by linking to this site, um, like my my site, and that to me is worth more. It's worth more to me to get that link than it is to get the money. If it was 250 bucks, which you know this whole 70 30 split, I think is kind of weird. It should be like Vimeo. It's like 90 10 split because yeah. once they automate the darn thing, do, do they really need to keep 30 percent? It's going to be totally automated. I can see them doing 70 percent split in the beginning because you know maybe they're not sure how it's all working with the credit card processing or PayPal. But after that, it really should be like a 90. 10 split. But anyway, I give my stuff away for free. I mean, all I, and to me, it's worth more to me 
You sound like Crazy Eddie right now. <laughs> I grew up on the East Coast. I know who Crazy Eddie is. You know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. I'll paint any, no, or Earl Shy. I'll paint any car for $99.95. <laughs> and, you know, what I did a long time ago is just an experiment. I did a whole series of, I just basically went to iStock, or I can't remember what it was, and I looked up some of their most popular images that people were downloading. So I just went and basically kind of recreated it with my own vision, I guess you could call it. And then I just gave it away for free on you know, a commercial, whatever you want to do. And those are my most popular images, those stock photography images that I did. And I've gotten so many links from really high-end websites, like, you know, you know, Huffington Post to whatever. Uh, they've been all over the place. Big, yeah. big. And those links, to me, are worth more than the 250 bucks or whatever I would get. Um, and it's just just the way I've I've, I've done things. It's I, that's, a, that's me, a great that's a great point on two fronts. It's a great point from the standpoint of, you know, just just the pay. I wouldn't say it's a pay it forward because you do want something in return. You want the the link back to your site, but not monetarily. But on the other side, from a photographer inspirational standpoint, I think it's a good it's a good tack to take just to keep fresh on what you're doing because you're sifting through the libraries of big guys, seeing what's popular and saying, I like that one. I'm going to recreate it. You know, and then you use your chops to redo this image and then repost it. So, hey, why not, right? Yeah, and I, I'm sure a lot of people are upset with me by, by saying that. But in, a lot of times what will happen is my images get... I can see it because I just, you know, if you use Google, you can set up an alert when somebody, you know, puts a image of yours in, but they don't give proper attribution. Well, if it's a small little website, I don't care, you know. It's like Aaron Nace came on your show a while back many months ago, and he says, I don't care. People steal my images. Go right ahead. It's yeah. more, I'd rather be creating rather than tracking them down. But for me, when a big website like Huffington Post or something like that, then a lot of times they will just put the image up and they won't give proper attribution. They'll just link back to Flickr. And I say, hey, you know, I just asked really nicely, can you link to my website? And they're like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, sure, go right ahead. You know, here we go, there's your link. Um, and so me, that's just, to me, is more valuable than Yeah, the I mean, money. I know that's a, I think that's an easier way, I don't know, maybe not so easy, but it's a, that's definitely a less stressful way of approaching this than some other photographers that I know. I'm not going to mention their names, but they have a bank of lawyers that if someone infringes on their work, they like, hey, lawyer group, go get me some money out of that company, you know, and that becomes a revenue stream if someone steals their work, they get paid because they, they know that, okay, if I litigate against this person, I will get some money out of them. I mean, that's a viable way to approach it, right? I mean, what do you guys think? Right. Is that, yeah. Or is that is that the negative sort of glasses half empty approach to this digital image making stuff? Uh, yeah, like, you know, I, I don't want to spend, I wouldn't want to spend time or money uh, paying somebody else to go after people taking my images. Hmm. Um, and I think this links this 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 kind of links to another story outside of this I won't spend a lot of time on but Dave you make a good point you're getting eyeballs back to a product that you have that's outside of your images your photography so for somebody who's a photographer that's selling images the message is build other revenue streams yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean okay so I shouldn't say that if a photographer and they want to sell images that's what they want to do and so they might be more upset about this but you make a good point as well again depending upon what your revenue streams are this could be a way to bring people back. So you still get to do your photography, you still get your photography seen. At the end of the day, you've got classes and some other things that bring bring people back to your site, and they still like your images. So, again, another part of a story, but um, 
What was your question, Frederick? No, I'm kidding. No, I wouldn't spend. I wouldn't spend. Wait a minute. Who are you again? I forgot. I I wouldn't spend resources on chasing somebody down. Like it's not that serious to me. But I do. I mean, I personally do see the value in because I've sold images before based on yearly licensing agreements. Companies that are making money off of them. Um, I would like to see a kickback. Again, I'm not going to chase them down. I just don't have the resources to do that or the desire. I have other things I want to do. Right. But um, this this would be a way to kind of just let that headache go. You know, sign up for this. If somebody sees an image, then 70% of something is better than, you know, zero. Yeah, I think I'd be more, the way my brain works, I'd be more akin to follow Dave's model of, you know, put it out there and put your 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 mind in the, the mindset of I want to link back, you know. And then right. also, in the you know, filter in there Trey Radcliffe's model of, you know, a certain percentage of the population is always going to steal from you. Just, you know, but the the vast majority of humans, um, you know, again, thinking positively and glasses half full are going to do the right thing. <clears throat> and if they want to get it, they'll license it the re- the regular way. And the folks that don't, okay, yeah, go ahead. Put it on your desktop order. So I agree. All right, guys, before we continue, I want to jump into the listener Q&A segment. But before we do that, I want to thank our final sponsor for this episode of This Week in Photo, a brand new sponsor for This Week in Photo, and that's our friends over at lynda.com. This episode is brought to you by lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com. You can learn what you want, when you want, with high-quality video tutorials at lynda.com. And Lynda gives you everything you need to improve your skills. Lynda offers a variety of instruction. You can learn software, creative business skills, photography techniques, web design, and more. They have over 2,000 courses and over 100,000 tutorials. They offer courses for all levels and they add new courses each and every day. Their courses are taught by industry experts and their instructors are accomplished professionals that are at the top of their fields and passionate about teaching. Linda's courses are high-quality video productions, and the videos are made in state-of-the-art studios. They use screenshots, narration, live action, smart boards, charts, graphics, and audio. No homemade YouTube videos here. Linda.com courses are convenient. You can take them anytime from your computer, your tablet, or your mobile device. Each Linda.com course is structured so that you can learn from start to finish or just jump in to find a quick answer. You can quickly search transcripts to easily find the information you're looking for. And for one low monthly price of $25, they give you unlimited access to the entire course library. You can start improving your skills with a free seven-day trial, including unlimited access, at lynda.com slash twip. And you can show your support for This Week in Photo at lynda.com slash twip. We thank lynda.com for their support. Linda.com, what do you want to learn today? All right, guys, it is time for our listener Q&A segment. This is where we answer a question that has been at the top of some of our or one of our listeners' minds. This question for this week is by Jason Bryant from our Google Plus community page. He says, how do you take portraits of people sitting and not make their legs look huge. <laughs> I wish I had read this before I got <laughs> Wait, let me read that again. How do you take portraits of people sitting and not make their legs look huge, such as a family sitting on a sofa, and I'm guessing with a long focal length, 150 millimeters plus. Um, Dave, <laughs> how do you take pictures of people sitting and not make them look like they have tree trunks? Well, I'll, I'll take a guess at it. Um, again, I don't do many portraits, but my guess is 
you, the, the, the thing that's closest to the camera is going to look the biggest. Yeah. So what I would probably do is, because if you're on a couch, let's say, or a sofa, they said, um, you're going to lean back, unfortunately, and that's probably not the best position. That even pushes your legs out f farther. So what I would suggest doing is take the person, put their butt up on the arm of the sofa, and then angle their legs to the side so now they're on the same plane and there should be the same dimension, you know, mm -hmm. in the two-dimensional image. Um, and that would help. I, again, I'm not a portrait photographer, but all the one, you know, you were talking about lynda.com, mm -hmm. which I loved using. I, you know, actually I switch between Lynda and uh, every other month I go to uh, Kelby training and then go back to Lynda. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I watch a lot of photographers and that's what they always say, the thing that's closest is going to be the biggest. So I think, that, I think that's called, if my brain is working right, I think that's called diminution where things closer to the 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 camera appear larger to things that are in the background. So what you're saying is to avoid that that optical illusion or that optical effect, instead of having them like this perpendicular to the to the plane, then make them sort of parallel to the plane, right? So turn, yeah. instead of having their legs and their feet, whatever, closer to the camera, put them on the same plane. This and like, like today, when I was doing my interview of this video shoot, I had two cameras set up, and I told the, the talent, basically the person I was interviewing, to basically rotate their chair like I'm doing in this, so they're off an angle, and then they turn their head towards the camera, and then that makes their shoulders less wide, you know, instead of like this, you know kind of thing, um, and that always seems to help. And a l like, some people will tell you, um, some, when I stand and I, uh, I'm talking to the camera, I will take one foot, point it to the camera, and then I'll take the other foot and point it 90 degrees. And it's really kind of weird, but it kind of torques your body a little bit, mm -hmm. and it makes you... Uh, a little bit slimmer, maybe, if that's if that's what he's going oh, after here. Come on. <laughs> yeah. How do you get? How do you look bigger? Come on, just go the other way and be, you know, parallel to the camera. Right? Yeah. Horizontal lines. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Leo, what do you what do you think of this? So, so you have to add to this. Well, so this is this this makes sense in front of any kind of lens, right? <laughs> so um, I, I I run into this all the time in in live live streaming and in TV. Remove the sofa. Have them sit on something else. So, as you were saying, Dave, with something that makes that, that happens all the time, is they do. Oh, that couch will look great. I saw this last night. Uh, somebody was sitting in a couch. This is on a live stream, and the couch completely swallowed that person. She was so skinny that her legs. There's no way her legs were gonna look big. Mm -hmm. But she slouched in the couch, and even if she hadn't, that cat, that sofa was so big, it swallowed her. So there were other issues other than nobody was looking at her legs. They couldn't see her because they had this monstrous couch around here. Yeah. So, uh, one of the things you mentioned as well, Dave, like maybe sitting towards the front of the couch if they have to sit on the couch, but if you can remove the couch, remove the couch. Like I would use something else entirely. If people use sofas, and even if, you, if you've got a big family that's covering the sofa and you never see it, you're probably not going to have that issue. But it sounds like you've got you know a couple of people on this big sofa. Take the sofa out and use something else. Have them sit on stools or have them sit, if you can, unless they really like the sofa, then the picture becomes about the sofa and it's no longer about the portrait of the people, right? <laughs> then it's so a you have to decide story, right? what your yeah, subject is, right? Yeah. And then bold colors. Um, we've had instances where somebody's like, well, I really want to sit on the sofa. And we had to find something to throw over it because the sofa was like this bright red. Um, mm. And somehow when we muted the color, it just didn't look as, you know, just yeah. the darker colors are more slimming, right? Even I though they weren't wearing color. it, right? <laughs> color, I hate it. I don't know. <laughs> so, like, out there. It's ostentatious. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I would say 
try those things first if they're available. I mean, then you don't have to worry about necessarily what kind of gear. I think it's um, some of it's just looking at what you really want the picture to be about, and then the picture do their legs really need to be in the photo? Mm -hmm. Love it. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. So you're Liana's look at the whole scene and manipulate it if you have to, right? Right. And the and the props in the scene. Great. Awesome, guys. Great response. All right, let's move into the picks of the week. We're almost look at this. We're running into the end of the show already. Feels like we just started. Um, yeah, I know we just started. Uh, this is the segment, pick of the week segment, where you guys can recommend something to the this week in photo audience as long as it is somehow related. And someone asked me to start saying tangentially again. So as long as it's somehow tangentially related to photography, Liana Lehua, I'm going to allow you to go first. What is your pick of the week? I thank you, sir. Yeah. Uh, there's something that I use called Trek Pack. It's T-R-E-K-P-A-K, -E Trek Pack. And I have two of them. I have one in my backpack and I have one in my Pelican 1510. I travel with both. It's a kind of straw structure, kind of like corrugated uh, cardboard, but not really. It's a little more sturdy. Mm -hmm. um, and you can shape it to your backpack, and it's got dividers, and it uses this pin system so that it's easily customizable. So if you need to switch the dividers around, you do it now in a backpack, and you've got Velcro, and you've got those dividers, you have to pull them out and do all that stuff, and you've got to keep replacing them. With these dividers, it's really easy to move them, um, and they take up less space in your bag, but they offer really great protection. As I did say, especially with my Pelican 1510 case, um, I check that bag often. I know a lot of people don't check their gear. I just kind of check it. I figure it's insured and I don't want to carry it on. Um, it Because they're so thin, it's a lot. there's a lot more room in the case for me to put my gear in there. Mm -hmm. And I check it. I've traveled all over the world. I have not had any issues. I, I still use them. Um, I have one also for a larger Pelican case that I use called a 1650. Mm -hmm. um, and then the one that I carry in my regular backpack um, is great. It comes in two different sizes, um, and it just shapes again however you need to shape it. And I mean, I think they're brilliant. I love it because oh, the advantages. The reason I was looking for something like this was that um, I am a big fan of bags. Like I think everybody is. Yeah. I always want to use a bag that doesn't look like photo bags, so I just wanted to use another bag I have. So the bag I use is this like the kind snowboard bag, and it's awesome. Yeah, there you go. And the, the bag that I have is a kind of snowboard bag, and I put it in there, and nobody knows that I've got any camera gear in there except that I've got my tripod on the tripod on the outer part of the bag. But it's brilliant. I love them. I, I've, I've recommended them to a couple people, and I know several that, that use them, and they're great. That's cool. And what, what, are, these, what are these run? Um, I think I want to say I paid oh, – I should know what they are. I want to say I paid 89 or 99 I think, for the backpack one, and I got the smaller size. It's the Raleigh 48, I believe it is. Um, and then for the um, Pelican 1510, I think I paid 99 I got it. When I originally bought this, I bought it on a Kickstarter. Oh, cool. Because it started out as a Kickstarter. So I think now you can get them other ways. And, um, I, yeah, a lot of my friends that have bought them since have bought them for things say the same thing. It's just that they're, they're wonderful. Perfect. See, it's those it's those kind of tips that we need from people that are actually working in the industry and you find something cool that, that solves a problem that normal mortals probably wouldn't be exposed to. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right, Dave Dugdale, what's your pick of the week? Mine is actually a movie that my wife and I saw this weekend, and it, it was awesome. My wife, I think she was like, eh, it's okay, uh, but I, I really enjoyed it, and I said, I don't know how many times I said, wow, I must have said it like a couple dozen, and it's called Tim's Vermeer, and it's a story about 
Tim Jennison, uh, I believe is his name, and he's uh, he's done a lot of stuff. Um, I think he invented the TriCaster, the toaster, uh, you know, editing software, and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I'm sure your audience has probably heard of what he's done in the past, but he was always fascinated with Vermeer because he Vermeer painted like uh, photography. It was like you took the picture with a lens. Mm -hmm. And so I think for, you know, Vermeer was around 350 years ago, and I, I'm sure all the other painters at the time were like scratching their head, like, how is he doing this? It looks so accurate. The tones, the, the you know, the, the color is so accurate. And that got um, Tim going, and he, over a course of many years, you get to watch him create a Vermeer. Um, and he takes, because he rebuilt the room, of this one painting, with like down to the the smallest detail, and then he went and he took like over a hundred days to actually paint this thing. And the guy is not even a painter, but he yes. figured out Vermeer's technique. And what was so because he did it with some a mirror and I think a concave piece of optic or something like that. I can't remember exactly. But what's so amazing about it is when you watch it, um, you realize like. My gosh, this guy just reproduced this this thing that people thought was so awesome, and now Tim, who's not really a painter, is probably one of the best painters in the world now because yeah. he can produce this stuff and he could reproduce any scene, like Vermeer did. And you know, I I just I was just amazed. If you go see the movie, go at you know, I, it's not as boring as like watching paint dry, but <laughs> I know, I know, and not quite. What about grass growing? <laughs> but <laughs> the way when he paints the girl's dress and he paints the carpet in such amazing detail and the the latitude I guess you could say or the the dynamic range the the colors are just amazing I was just like wow this is just awesome and I was thinking to myself man I wish I could like figure out how to like reproduce you know you know, cinematic movies, just the same technique that he's doing. Yeah. So you backward engineer. I just where where did you see this at? Was it on Netflix it, or iTunes? No, it's in the movie theaters right now. This is you know, this is first run right now. Okay. Yeah, it was in a major movie theater place down in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, they wow. it's in the theaters right now. Okay. Yeah, I saw I saw this movie, and I think one of the things that was so amazing about it, like you were saying, Dave, it's not that it reproduces the colors and the image and the detail. Like he gets light fall off in the painting. Like it's when 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 Dave was talking about color, the color matches. If you were getting this light through this window and you were going to paint me, the fall off of the light shows up in the painting. Oh, so wow. that I mean, it's everything about it. Like it's not as boring as watching paint dry. <laughs> <laughs> right. It really it sounds, is pretty. Yeah. You know. Sounds like part of my to do list for this weekend. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely go see it. It's awesome. Tim's Vermeer. Perfect. Awesome. Two great picks. All right, my pick is I did an interview yesterday with a sports photographer from Sports Illustrated, Mr. Peter Reed Miller. He also has a book out, which is another part of my pick right here. It's called uh, Peter Reed Miller on Sports Photography. You can see that right there. Boom. So he uh, basically, he, you know, as a Sports Illustrated photographer, he's getting questions about, okay, how do I take pictures of my kids' football games and make them look like they're or Sports Illustrated images and, you know, that kind of stuff. He talks about that. He talks about his work at the Olympics, all that stuff. And it's all in this book here that's published by Pearson and our friends over at Peach Pit Press. So definitely check that out. And we'll uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Also, I like I said, I interviewed him yesterday, and we'll put a link 
actually in, embedded in this blog post, probably underneath the video that you're watching, if you're watching this on This Week in Photo, will be uh, that interview, which, you know, he goes into some of his tips and tricks on how to uh, do some really cool sports illustrated style photography. He also talks about travel and some other things like that, but I think it was a, it was a really good interview, so definitely check that out. My second pick is this guy here. Dave, I know you're going to give me crap about this. This is, <laughs> And I've talked about this on the show before. This is my uh, Xperia Z, my Sony Xperia Z. I love this thing. I'm, uh, I'm very happy with it. I also have an iPad. The What is it? The, uh, the Retina iPad, the Mini? No, it's not the Mini. It's the Air, the big one. So I got the big one with the Retina specifically for that screen for photography. But I'll tell you, this one is in my camera bag now or goes in my camera bag because of the NFC connectivity. It's durable beyond <clears throat> beyond belief. It's waterproof and all that. Runs Android, and it just works. And the cool thing about this is Google, I think I tweeted this out or put it on Google Plus or something before, but Google rolled out an update a while ago to Google Plus Photos that lets you do some insanely cool things on your tablet that I can't do in Google Plus Photos on iOS. So another reason for having Android in my camera bag. So anyway, good stuff. It's awesome. Those are my two picks of the week. Peter Reed Miller on sports photography, both the interview and the book, and Sony's Xperia Z insanely cool Matrix-style tablet. All right, guys, we are at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. I want to thank our sponsors. Uh, that would be FreshBooks.com, Squarespace, and the, our newest sponsor, Lynda.com. Thanks, Linda, for coming on. We appreciate it. And, um, you know, your library is just insanely cool. I'm always in there. Dave Dugdale. Dave Dugdale, where can people go to connect with you and uh, see some of that work? Also, you normally tell us your website. You were bragging about how you give away your stuff on Flickr. Where can people... <laughs> Where's your Flickr feed so we can go like scarf down some of your free pixels? <laughs> yeah, it's learningdslrvideo.com. So if you go to my about page, I think I've got all of the links to all of my social media. And it might be on the sidebar as well. You'll see Flickr, Google+, Twitter, Instagram, and all that good stuff. Um, so it's all right there. It should be all right on the uh, sidebar of my website. And that's learningdslrvideo.com, and that's the nexus of all that is Dave. That is correct. <laughs> very, 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 very. Almost all that is Dave, because there's some kids in there somewhere. So <laughs> They play a role, too. All right, Liana Lehua, what about you? Where can people go to connect with you online? Uh, the best place to go is uh, right now Twitter. Uh, I don't have any other presence. That links to everything else, so that's the best yeah. place. Uh, there's a in the profile. I've got a link to some stuff, and it will link you out to where you need to go to. So it's just at Liana Lehua. Very cool. So Twitter, Twitter is your Rome. All all roads lead to Twitter, and out from Twitter. Right. Sort of. For kind now. Of, maybe. For now. For, For now. now. Cool. Awesome, guys. All right, and uh, be sure to visit our new site over at thisweekinphoto.com. Actually, it's not so new now. We relaunched it about a month and a half ago. Um, and we redesigned the site, so reskinned it, so made things a little bit easier to navigate and get around and all that good stuff. And it's responsive, so it works on any device now. Everybody's happy. And finally, if you want to connect with me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at my site, which has also been refreshed, and that's Frederick Van. Dot com. Thanks to both of my guests, Mr. Dave Dugdale and Ms. Liana Lehua, for coming on to talk about the news this week. And it is that time. Time to take that lens cap off.
Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. All right, folks, I'm sitting here in a Google Plus Hangout with Mr. Peter Reed Miller. He's a sports illustrated photographer. This is one of the people that if you have any kind of interest in shooting sports in any way, shape, or form, you want to be listening to this particular interview and or checking out his book that I just got. Look at this. It's Peter Reed Miller on sports photography. He shoots for Sports Illustrated, which is probably why he has such heavy gravity <laughs> in the sports photography universe. But Peter and I are going to talk about, obviously, sports photography, but we're going to dive a little deeper and talk about, of course, gear. You know, what, This is one of the few, one of the, well, many areas, but one of the, the more succinct areas in photography where the gear is critical. So we're going to talk about his gear choices and recommendations, and we're also going to talk about what it's like to be a Sports Illustrated photographer, Maybe some swimsuit stuff. I don't know. We may try to get that in there, get that out of them. And more importantly, how you can use some of these professional Sports Illustrated type techniques to shoot your family and friends or photograph them, you know, your kids on the football field or baseball diamond or whatever. So, Peter Reed Miller, welcome to This Week in Photo. Hey, thanks for having me, Frederick. Hey, it's a pleasure. Pleasure's all mine. So let, let's start off with the book. So Peter Reed Miller on sports photography. The subtitle is A Sports Illustrated Photographer's Tips, Tricks, and Tales on Shooting Football, the Olympics, and Portraits of Athletes. How did this book come about? Was it just a, a long time coming? Was it, uh, you know, Peach or, or Pearson came at you and said, hey, we need sports photography. Can you do it? How did it go? Yeah, originally uh, Ted Waite from from Pearson uh, approached me at a, I think it was a WPPI show or one of the shows and said, "Look, we'd love to do have you do a book. Uh, could you do like uh, 280 pages of uh, tips on sports photography?" And I said, "No, <laughs> no way." But uh, then he kind of came back at me and he said, "Look, you do a talk. You do a talk at these shows, like I talk on the Canon stage or I'll speak for Western Digital." He said, "Why not base the book on the talk?" And at the time, that sounded like just the easiest thing in the world. Oh, it's all written, all the pictures are selected, but a book Ted, is not a talk. Ted and his like, Jedi mind trick, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, it was quite, it, you know, in the talk, I do. I talk about the things I really enjoy. So I enjoy shooting football. I love shooting the Olympics. And I've been very fortunate to have the, have the opportunity to shoot a lot of portraits of athletes in my time at Sports Illustrated. So I thought, well, all right, this is what I'm going to write about. You know, I mean, it's not that I don't shoot other sports, but... I don't have the same passion. So that part of it was good, um, but the actual writing of it was a lot more work than I thought. And I ended up being, oh, about 10 months late on the on the book. But uh, we got it done. There was, uh, you know, it got pretty ugly at some points, but uh, but I'm really happy with it. Uh, yeah, I didn't know. I was when, when the copy came, I didn't open it for a week because I thought, what if I really, you know, you're in something like that and your head is so wrapped around. You have no idea what you're doing after a while. Yeah. But when I did open it and people started opening it and looking at it, I was I was very happy with it. And I still am. Well, congratulations. So then now it's time to start on the next version, right? Uh, <laughs> it's volume two. I don't know. It's it's like one of those things that's, you know, seems like a great idea, is incredibly painful when you're doing it, and then you sort of forget the pain. Well, I haven't quite forgotten the pain yet, so maybe another year or so. I hear you. Okay, so you, it sounds kind of like childbirth then a little bit. <laughs> it was. It was. Put some time long, between the two kids. Two-year childbirth. There you go. There you go. Well, cool. Well, well congratulations again. It looks like a, a great book. I haven't read it all the way through yet, but I definitely, I definitely will. So let, let's talk about 
let's just dive in and talk about sports photography in general. So a lot of, we before we click the record button on this interview, you were ch you and I were chatting a little bit about. Um, let's just take it from the end. A lot of a lot of amateur photographers have different ideas of what it takes to be a, a, a good sports photographer. Some people say, hey, study the sport ad nauseum and then position yourself at a certain point and camp there. That's your spot. And if you're lucky enough to get the shot, you know, the decisive moment, then you're good. Other people say, hey, you're, you're going to be as much of an athlete as these guys are because you're going to be running back and forth on the court. Other folks say, turn your camera around and shoot the sidelines, shoot the fans, shoot the behind the scenes, the pain, the anguish, the emotion of the sport. Where do you fall in? Is it all of that stuff? or is I it... think it's exactly that. It's, it's all of that stuff. Um, okay. I know particularly at Sports Illustrated, every event that I go to, I have a different kind of assignment. I mean, sometimes I'll go to a football game and it's just shoot that right tackle you know, the whole game, or, or shoot, or the worst one is shoot uh, the defensive back who's so good, because when the DBs are that good, they never throw at him. So we used to shoot Deion Sanders, and he'd be standing out there and doing nothing for the whole game, but, but you know, there are those kind of assignments. Then there's the kind where it's cover the game, we want the winning touchdown, we want all the big plays, and then there are other assignments where it's just like, you know, it's going to be a pretty day, it's San Francisco, they're wearing red, it's good colors, it's a good matchup, just go and, and make a picture. Yeah. So um, for someone who's starting out, I, I, I think knowing the sport is really crucial. And I think that there's kind of a balance of trying to take in everything, especially if it's your first one or two games, maybe not moving that much. I mean, I think uh, a friend of mine, uh, my former editor, Steve Fine, says if you spend all day chasing the action, you're going to spend all night chasing the picture. Yeah. So, uh, so there's something to kind of staying in a, in a spot, but again, it, it, it's somewhat, sports photography is unfortunately somewhat equipment dependent. Yeah, and well, tell, you tell have, me about that. So equipment dependent, we, on, on This Week in Photo, we talk a lot about, um, or uh, over the last year or so, we've been talking a lot about mirrorless cameras and, you know, downsizing and why aren't the big guys innovating as fast as the smaller guys are, and one of the few genres of photography that it seems like the it's not going away the necessity for a a you know the big beefy camera with the long fast glass is sports yeah. photography. You do you agree? Yeah, I do. And and I I mean I I'm a Canon guy. I use the uh, the EOS 1DX and it's an amazing camera. Um, and I use long lenses. I use 400, 600s, even the 800. A lot these days I'm using the new 200 to 400 zoom from Canon, which is a great lens. And that's got the built-in extender, so it goes to 560. So that was that was a great lens, especially in London during the Olympics. It was I just carried it every day. And uh, so you kind of need that. The, the good news for the sports photographer is even in the lower end, uh, like the digital Rebels, uh, and there, there are less expensive lenses now. There's 100 to 300 zooms that are very reasonably priced. So... For not a lot of money, uh, an amateur or a person who's starting out can get a pretty good kit to shoot with. So that's a good way for them to start. You know, I think a, a 70 to 200 or a 70 to 300, uh, a digital Rebel, and and the other good thing is they have such the, the high ISO performance improves all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's that's another thing that really will help them out. And then you're you're also with these long lenses. Obviously, there's a monopod on there, right? Monopod, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that's the kit. So long lens, fast camera, or fast, you know, or low light sensitivity, and a monopod, and you're you're equipped to go get the game. Well, that that's my that's my number one lens. Now, the other thing I always try and do, if I, you know, and again, it requires a second camera, 
is I always like to have a camera around my neck mm -hmm. with, a, say, a 50 or a 70 to a 24 to 70 or some sort of short range because when that action ha happens right in front of you, and if you're in the right spot, it will, you're, you're, you know, you're hopeless with the long glass, and you've got to just swing that to the side and grab that camera and nail it. So that's, that's what I would say if, the, if anybody has a second body available, I would always have that right around the neck, ready to go, just grab it and, and shoot. Yeah, no. Yeah, and that, that goes for lots of, you know, it's like wedding photographers. They're, they're you know, <clears throat> long lens, short lens, so you can adapt quickly without fumbling and trying to change lenses yeah, and getting dirt and dust on your sensor. Yeah. So, okay, so what about what about um, the whole, one thing I'm, I'm really curious about from a, a professional sports photographer standpoint, when you go to a game, of course, your, your shoot-to-delete to ratio increases over time. In other words, your keepers get better and better. You get more and more of them as you get better and better and shoot more, and yours are probably at the top end. On average, on any particular game, how much are you generally shooting? And of that crop of images, how many keepers would you say you get and consider this was a good game? I got, I got what I came for. I would say at an average football game, I'll shoot ooh, 2,000 or so images, 2,000 frames, maybe a little bit more. Again, it depends on the type of assignment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are a number of factors. Somewhere around 2,000. And if I get if I get 10% of those, if I get 200 images that I think are, are are really good, I'm very happy. That's a good day for me. I mean, it just camera goes 12 frames a second. You, you know, you've got a lot to choose from, but at the end of the day, in every sequence, there's that one that just really is the perfect one. And so that's not to say there aren't a couple hundred or more other okay images, but those 200 should really be the top ones. Yeah. Now, Peter, other, other than your, your pre-sort of concepted editorial shots, which are amazing, by the way, do you, do you ever go to a game and say, you know what, in this game, I need to get... LeBron doing this, and that's my goal for this game. Everything else is ancillary. I need sure. to get him doing this action, and if I get that, I'm a success. You ever go in with that mindset? Oh, yeah, definitely, and that's something that my editors will tell me sometimes, or I'll just, I'll just know. I'll just see something that I, you know, that I, a player's known for doing, and I will just watch for that. Um, another thing, particularly in, a, in an outdoor setting like a football game or soccer game in the daytime, I'll, I'll like I'll, I'll go with the light. I'll shoot the light. If I can find a spot where the light is low and down the field, under gets under the helmets, doesn't throw a shadow, or better yet, if there's low light and the shadow comes across, so you have that dark background, the players are lit up. I'll just sit in a spot and wait for whatever happens in that light. Yeah, and so, so you camp out, kind of like hunting, right? Yeah, yeah. a little blind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, hunting for pixels. Oh, cool. So, what about what about post processing? Once you, you you're at the game, you've planned it, you got the shots, presumably that you want. You got those two thousand shots on your uh -huh. your CF cards, and you're you're back in your in your office there. What happens at that point? Well, I you know I'm I'm kind of lucky in that regard, but Sports Illustrated. They still want to see everything, and they do all the editing back in the office in New York. So we have a proprietary program on a laptop that basically I just feed it cards. And what it does, we always shoot raw, Sports mm -hmm. Illustrated, um, so you have the most capability to work with the images. So this program will strip a JPEG out of the raw and send a very small JPEG and get that transmission going quickly. 
then the editors in New York will go through that, that take of JPEGs, they'll mark their selects, and then automatically, as long as my computer, my laptop is online, they, the program will come back and fetch the RAWs that it needs and transmit it. So uh, instead of transmitting 2,000 RAWs, even if you have fast internet, can take a long, long time. But I'm just I'm just shooting a bunch of very small JPEGs, and then they're pulling the hundred or so uh, or 200 RAWs that they really want for their their files and for the magazine. So no no post processing on your side, no no digital manipulation, which nah, we've seen. Nah. You can't do that. We've seen, and I wanted to have you comment on that. On the show a couple of weeks ago, we had, <clears throat> can't remember the name of the photographer, but there was this controversy where the photographer, the sports photographer, submitted an image that of a, you know, a, uh, it was a baseball game, I believe it was, and it was the game-winning home run or something, and they missed it. The photographer missed the shot, so instead of, you know this, right? So instead of, you know, owning up to it and saying, I missed a shot, they substituted a shot from a different game in there. Oh. Could you comment on that? What do you think about uh, that? That's totally, uh, that's wrong. That's really wrong. And, and, you know, at Sports Illustrated, we basically, we do not mess with the action pictures. We don't move balls. We don't move players. We don't take stuff out. Now, our portraits, a different matter. Like every magazine now, we'll, we'll switch heads around and port group shots and things like that. We'll do a lot in portraits. But action is action, news is news, and you don't mess with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's photojournalism, right? And yes. by definition, you're telling the story, and when you start moving pixels in there, it's editorial at yeah. that point. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. So, so cool. Okay, so final tips on your – so actually, back to the post-processing. I had a note here to sort of continue that. So on the post-processing side, on Sports Illustrator, you guys have proprietary software. You feed it cards, goes up to them. The the minions over at Sports Illustrated take the files and do the rest with it. What about your other work, the editorial work? Are you doing that yourself, the post on that, or do you have a team? Yeah, I'll use a Photo Mechanic okay. mainly, and then I'll, I'll bring Photo Mechanic, I'll bring the images basically right into Photoshop if they need some work. Um, I just, uh, I haven't, I'm not that good in Lightroom, so mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to be. I've taken Seth uh, Resnick's course. Mm -hmm. I need to take it again. Uh, but... Uh, but mechanic is great for just manipulating the images, keeping track, seeing what you've got, and then what I what I really need to work on, I'll I'll do in Photoshop. Love it, I love it. See the pure photographer, you know, it's it's about getting the shot, and then the rest is like oh, I'll figure it out later. But I got to get the yeah. shot, got to get the neck, get the get the the, uh, the light on the negative, so to speak, right? Yes. Now, okay, so the final tips here on for photographers that, you know, again, that, that photographer that's sitting there and he's like, you know, I want to get into the sports stuff. I'm a sports fan. I want to shoot, but the gear is so expensive. Um, I don't know how to do it. I don't even, you know, am I allowed on the field? I just want to start, but I don't know where to start. I know you're going to say go get this book, but aside, <laughs> and then, <laughs> aside from getting the book. One of my workshops. <laughs> oh, you got, yeah, I didn't know you had workshops as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah. Uh, I've got one coming up in Denver. I've been doing Denver for 12 years now, uh, April 7th through the 13th. Mm -hmm. And then I've, I've done a fall workshop in Atlanta. I have a couple of other projects kind of in the hopper, a Canon Live learning workshop in the Bay Area in June, and mm -hmm. we're just trying to put together something in Hawaii with the University of Hawaii. So, But the Denver workshop is kind of my, my oldest one, and that's a week long. We'll start on a Monday night have a meet and greet, I'll show some pictures, and then usually just 
as an example, Denver will do uh, like mountain biking one day. We'll do high school lacrosse another day. I always like to find some wacky indoor thing. So we've been doing fencing the last few years. Oh, cool. Pick up a tennis, soccer. And then on Saturday, uh, we do the uh, University of Colorado spring football scrimmage. So even though it's spring, get some real football in a real stadium. Yeah. They have a track meet that day. We shoot portraits at a boxing gym. So it's a lot of shooting. Everybody edits at night or early in the morning. Then in the morning, we have a critique. Uh, I have different people. I have Sil Arena come in for a couple of days. You know, Sil talk I about speed Syl. lights because yeah. I know nothing about speed lights. So Sil does that. Yeah. Steve Fine, who used to be director of photography at SI, comes in. He's now working at Flipboard, the new uh, that source. So he talks about what he's doing, and he's obviously a great eye for pictures. And then this year, I'm going to have Garrett Elwood, who's the Denver Nuggets and Rapids. Uh, MLS Rapids uh, photographer, and he's going to talk about arena lighting, and we're going to set up, there's a great little gym at Denver East High School, we're going to set up some lights and shoot some basketball. Very so, cool. So that's a, so it's a week-long a week event? Yes, yes. Okay, and what are, what are we looking at price-wise, and how many how many uh, students, co-students, or how many people do you allow into the course? I allow 20 in, and we've got, I think we've got two or three spots left, if anybody's interested. Uh, price is eighteen ninety five for the week. And, uh, wow, that's easy. Twenty bucks? That's like a couple lattes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, all the information is on my website, PeterReedMiller.com. Just go to the workshop page. There's info. There's a video. There's a schedule, and there's a link to register. So anybody's interested, check that out. And then, again, I have a mailing list. If they want to sign up for that, then I will keep them apprised of the future workshops and the schedule. Excellent, Peter. Thanks for thanks for doing this interview. I appreciate it. I think I got a, I and the listeners probably have got a got a lot out of this. It's uh, it's educational. Sports photography has always been one of those genres of photography that's intimidating because you know not only you have to know the sport, fun, but you, it's, it's fun. It is. It is fun. But you know, it's fun. But you know, there's no models in there. No. <laughs> Oh, see, that was good. So speaking of models, the Sports Illustrated model issue, you, uh, any involvement in that? Ask question. I've never done uh, work on the actual, uh, the issue itself. I've done work, uh, we had an uh, amateur contest a couple of years ago where a girl got selected, and we sh I shot all of that. That was a lot of fun. But it's really a production into itself now, and they mm -hmm. usually, most of the shooters are basically fashion guys, and they do, they do a great job. They do a wonderful job, but it's, it's a... A different, uh, different ball of wax there. It's a different world. Cool. Well, Peter, thanks a lot. I'll let you get on with your day. Again, Great. an honor speaking with you. I, I, I really respect what you've done. Congratulations on the book and uh, much, success, much success with it. And I'm looking forward to reading volume two when you put this out in a couple of <laughs> weeks, right? <laughs> I can't say I'm looking forward to writing it yet, but give me time. Okay. <laughs> thanks for having me, Frederick. You're thanks. welcome. You have a good day, Peter. You too.